the concerns are like, you know, what viruses could be transmitted or what infectious agent could be transmitted. The very real worries about a viral infection after a Toronto woman says she was jabbed in the back by a stranger with a needle. Good evening. We start with a troubling incident from our city street to tell you about. A woman is recovering tonight after she says she was randomly stabbed in the back with a needle. The news has both authorities and the public more than a little concerned. CTV's Allison Hurst is downtown right now with more. Allison. Michelle, we spoke with a woman who says she's sharing her story because she wants people to know what happened to her in this area near Young and College. On these crowded city streets, Toronto police are investigating a bizarre and terrifying crime. A woman says she was jabbed in the back with a needle while shopping for groceries. I think it's very disturbing. Junlan Lee posted on Reddit about the incident. She spoke to CTV News but declined an on-camera interview. She says she was in the Young and College area just after 3 in the afternoon on Sunday. She says she didn't see it happen, just felt it. Someone else saw the dude poke me and warned me. So I went to hospital as soon as I felt my back swelling up. I've been living in this area now for, for a while, and um, there's a lot of um, kind of needles kind of around, uh, like the parkettes around here. Lee is now undergoing blood tests and awaiting results. She says in her post, if I'm not fine and this is more serious than I thought it was, well, there's not a lot I can do now. So the concern are like, you know, what viruses could be transmitted or what infectious agent could be transmitted. U of T virology professor Munir Abu Haidar says HIV, hepatitis C and B are the most probable viruses, if any. Whatever test you're going to do now, you're not going to see anything because none, none of the tests is, is um, sensitive enough, you know, like HIV or any or hepatitis C, you have to wait. And, and when you wait, you know, the infection started, and now you can start seeing it, and that, that's the problem. Toronto police are investigating and reviewing surveillance footage from the area. While officers say it's not common here, Vancouver police have had three random incidents within six months. In April, a man was stabbed in the lake with a hypodermic needle while walking to work. The month before, a woman was jabbed while walking in the same area of the downtown east side. And in October last year, a woman was stabbed when she left a coffee shop. It's a shame. It's a shame that you can't walk the streets without um, something like this happen. Kimberly Rudolph is moving to this area of Toronto. I feel a little uncomfortable and a little uneasy about the whole situation. Lee says fortunately all of her vaccines are up to date and is urging everyone to double check theirs. And she just posted an update in the last little while saying that her blood work did come back clean, but she is getting treatment for HIV as a precaution. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Allison. Developing details, tracking who may benefit from Premier Ford's controversial plan to build houses on the green belt. CTV News investigates. That's coming up. The number of Canadians who owe money is on the rise. Consumer debt in this country is up. What we're starting to see now is a little bit of pent-up demand coming back in. So consumers are purchasing some of those big ticket, ticket items that they didn't before. But what we're also seeing at the same time is inflation has been very high. So we've seen the cost of living start to rise. And that's really a bit of a struggle for some consumers out there. Equifax Canada says an increase in borrowers helped push total consumer debt to $2.36 trillion in the third quarter. That's a more than 7% increase from last year. 
The Credit Bureau also reports average non-mortgage debt rose to just over $21,000, the highest level since the second quarter of 2020. Credit card spending was up more than 17% from last year to an all-time high for the time period. The average spending on credit cards was over $2,400. So borrowing is up, but it appears not a lot of that is going towards buying a home. There's new information out tonight suggesting the health of the housing market in this region is struggling, and it may not stop anytime soon. CTV's Raheem Ladani joins us now with the details. Raheem. Well, Nathan and Michelle, there's a lot of uncertainty in the Canadian economy because of factors such as rising interest rates and inflationary pressures. And here in the GTA, that's led to a real estate slowdown. Jake Morrison just bought lunch, but he's pinching his pocket in other ways. I travel all the way from Whitby to Toronto every day to save money. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot longer to get here, but it saves a lot of money in the long run. PJ and Desiree would like to put their savings towards a home one day, a goal that often seems out of reach. It, is, it does feel dark thinking about it. Um, it's something that we both stress about, Yeah. Uh, I guess, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of like, how are we going to navigate through this kind of crisis? Outside realtor offices across the GTA, there's a lot of window real estate. Home ownership is dropping, influenced by the impact of higher borrowing costs on affordability. It's a continuation of a trend that we've really seen unfolding since February or March. The Toronto Real Estate Board says just more than 4,500 homes were sold in November. Compare that to nearly 9,000 last year. It's a drop of 49%. And prices are also slipping. The average selling price last month was just more than $1,079,000. That's down more than 83000 from last November. I'm going to need to, say, purchase something at a lower price point than I initially had anticipated in order to account for, for higher borrowing costs. The Bank of Canada is widely expected to raise its key interest rate again on Wednesday. It would be the seventh hike since March. At 3.75%, it's already the highest it's been since 2008. Just with the rates as they are currently, I think it's just not the market for someone like myself. Uh, and that's someone that works full-time in a great industry. Housing experts believe the rate hikes will take up to two years to be fully felt in the economy. Year-over-year -year semi-detached homes have seen the biggest price drop on average of nearly 14%, while condos there at the other end of the spectrum, just a slight dip of 0.9%. Reporting live, I'm Raheem Ladani. Michelle, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Raheem. A large fire has all but destroyed four homes under construction in Hamilton. Flames broke out at around 1.30 this afternoon in some partially completed residences on the West Hamilton Mountain. More than a dozen crews spent much of the day trying to get this blaze under control. No injuries were reported, but children at a nearby school were kept inside to protect from smoke inhalation. To Etobicoke now in the aftermath of another case of suspected school violence. Police locked down Lakeshore Collegiate this afternoon over concern someone was inside with a knife. That's where we find CTV's Scott Lightfoot tonight. Scott. Well, Nathan, the last cruiser left here not long ago. Police have now cleared this scene. We're told this all started with a fight involving three people. Now, that fight was not on school property, and that fight was broken up by a resident who lives nearby. Here's what he saw. Two kids were fighting. There was a girl there on the floor, tried to break it up. Uh, one of the kids walked away. The other kid walked away, and I guess... I guess had a knife, right? I uh, didn't use it, but just um, walked away east on Birmingham. 
So police were called here around 2.30 this afternoon. The school was placed on lockdown after reports of that person with a knife. Now, that lockdown lasted several hours. Police began escorting students out of the school around 4 o'clock this afternoon. It was a little unconventional today uh, just because uh, we knew the suspect was gone, but we weren't sure if there was a victim. We hadn't identified who that person was yet. We wanted to ensure that uh, they weren't hunkered down somewhere inside the school and suffering from an injury that we needed to uh, address right away. And so we did a class-by-class uh, -class, uh, search for this person, and as we released the uh, classes, we, we continued that search for the victim. Now, police say they have now located all of the parties involved. They say there are no reports of injuries. Now, we're told the parties involved are high school age, but police cannot confirm that they attend the school. Police have not said if they have recovered a weapon. They do say, however, one person is in police custody. No word yet on any charges. Reporting live in Etobicoke, I'm Scott Lightfoot. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Scott. The lockdown comes on the heels of a TDSB meeting in which trustees raised the idea of bringing police back into schools. No decision has been made on that measure, but the mayor says there should be alternatives to stem the recent wave of violence. The TDSB said no to police officers in schools is look at other ways in which we can, uh, you know, uh, use a police or use other people. I was reading of a program that exists in another city in the U.S. where they use dads to do this kind of thing, uh, fathers. And so maybe that kind of thing uh, with parents involved is something that could work as well. John Tory says he supported the program that saw police in Toronto's schools. It was scrapped in 2017 after a board report that found the presence of officers caused some students to feel uncomfortable and intimidated. There's a live look at Nathan Phillips Square tonight and another nice December night to take in the sights and sounds of this year's holiday fair in the square. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Well, Nathan, overall, it's been another gray, drizzly day here in the GTA. There's been rain for communities further to the north and to our east. There's a little bit of rain pushing into the Bruce Peninsula at this hour. But for us, we are mostly dry and we're mild. Temperature-wise, we are still at 5 degrees at Pearson International, as well as the Toronto Islands. No wind chill to speak of for tonight. In fact, we are going to be well above seasonal through the night once again tonight. And tomorrow, we will be even warmer than we were today. But we've got a chance of fog and showers are going to return once more. We'll take you through your weather forecast coming up. For now, though, Michelle, over to you. Thanks, Lindsay. Now to a CTV News investigation on what critics call a green belt gamble. A developer's $100 million loan on a property that contains what was supposed to be cheap farmland. CTV's John Woodward looks into a process one Vaughan City Councillor wants to stop entirely. This farmland off Pine Valley Drive is a point of pride for Vaughan Councillor Marilyn Iafrati. The soil here is, is absolutely the top in, in all of Ontario, if not Canada. But this soil won't be used to grow crops anymore if a proposal to remove it from Ontario's protected greenbelt goes through. The area is among several plots of land selected by the province in November, picking what they called shovel-ready land that could be turned quickly into more than 50,000 housing units, a decision that has prompted protests. The province's assessment of this land bothered Iafrati, who says other developers complained to her their land was ready but wasn't picked. This whole process does not pass the smell test. It really doesn't. Land title documents show this property was purchased in May of last year for $50 million. Last week, the NDP questioned whether the deal was too rich for farmland, pointing to a $100 million loan document, say developer TAC Development Block 41 Incorporated, secured on the property. Is a 21% interest rate on $100 million a good deal? 
But Tax says in a statement to CTV News it got a $30 million loan to purchase the land. The $100 million loan is for future development costs, saying the true interest rate was actually much lower, prime plus 75 basis points. The 107-acre parcel includes other developable land, with the area to be removed from the Greenbelt only in the southwest corner. The company said it is critically important to note that TAC Developments Block 41 Incorporated purchased the land because much of it was already designated for development, parks and roads, and it is associated with the planned new community commonly referred to as Block 41. TAC and its principals, members of the de Gasparis family, appear to have donated at least $65,000 to the PC party since 2014. In that time, they also donated about $67,000 to the Ontario Liberals and $27,000 to the Ontario NDP. It was the Green Party that put this question to the Housing Minister on Monday. Will the Premier listen to the people? who don't want him to touch the greenbelt, or will he listen to land speculators who want to pave over the people's greenbelt? Half a million Canadians are going to come here, so that's why we're putting forward policies, procedures, bills, regulations to get shovels in the ground. This isn't the only property that sparked controversy. Councillor Iafrady hoping for drastic action to clear the air. Personally, I think they should stop the process and start it all over again with, a very, with very clear guidelines. The government has given no sign it intends to stop the deals. Its consultation period ended Sunday at midnight. John Woodward, CTV News. If you have a story idea for CTV News Investigates, please let us know. You can email investigate at ctv.ca or visit our website for more secure and anonymous ways to get in touch. Marit Stiles is one of a number of opposition MPPs calling for an investigation into the Greenbelt deals. And she's about to have a larger voice in the matter and others for her party. She is set to take over the NDP following a lonely leadership race in which she was the only person running. Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us now with more on the contest and the new NDP leader. Siobhan. There were a number of NDP MPPs who kicked the tires, so to speak, talked to their families about the possibility of running, but at the deadline, there was only Merritt Stiles. The party doesn't see a race that wasn't as a bad thing, but I talked to one analyst who said it will make the party's work as the government in waiting harder. We have a really big job to do. Merritt Stiles rallied the NDP caucus after emerging as the only candidate running to lead the party before a planned vote in March. I didn't expect to be here today announcing this, uh, but uh, I'm thrilled. Stiles' journey through provincial politics began in 2018 when she was elected MPP and became the NDP's education critic. Before that, she did two years as president of the federal New Democrats. What I've seen as a new trustee. And served the Toronto District School Board for four years. I really believe in, in listening to people uh, and listening to the people of the province. Uh, I believe in our grassroots. I, I believe that uh, I need to get out there and, and connect with as many people as possible. New Democrats are brushing off questions about the absence of a real race, an exchange of ideas and what it says about their party. It shows that we are a united party. We're not interested in being divided. The real fight that people are interested in us beginning is the fight to defeat Doug Ford. It's not good for the NDP. It's just, it's never good for a party really to have an outright coronation. Analyst Scott Reed explains leadership contests generate money, new blood, and energy. So the challenge really falls to Marit Stiles, who has to now put the whole thing on her back 
and say to people, this is why I'm worth paying attention to. This is why my message is worth listening. This is why we should be worthy of your vote. So it isn't that it's impossible. But Reid says it's a heavy load to carry, something New Democrats insist Stiles is up to. She has that ability to get headlines and really build that momentum and showcase to Ontarians who she is, what her values are. And where she'd like to take the province before the next election in 2026. A party vote to confirm the new NDP leader was set for March. Leadership could choose to move that up, but so far no date has been set. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Siobhan. Vaccine wastage, money not tracked, and billions of dollars in overpayments by the federal government. The scathing Auditor General report about the price we paid to provide protection. Police in the east end of the city tonight have a murder mystery on their hands. They're working to find out who killed a 50-year-old man near Danforth and Greenwood and how. CTV's Austin Delaney's near where it happened and joins us now. Austin. Yeah, a man in his 50s murdered in the middle of the night outside this complex at Greenwood and Danforth. There is a trail of blood that leads from a park nearby all the way to an apartment unit on the first floor. James Garrow is asking the officer if he can get back into his apartment where the victim died. But it is a crime scene. He tells me there was a lot of blood in the apartment. On the floor in the apartment and on the door. There was a lot of blood everywhere. A trail of it leading along a pathway from apartment 113 to Felstead Park behind the complex where it is believed it all began. Stephanie woke to the sound of someone moaning outside around 2.30 this morning. Pain, like somebody was pain. I got up, looked out the window, didn't see nobody. So he had to be moving fast enough where he could get by my window. I'm going to open my, my windows to get some light from outside. And I just see blood and a police say, oh my goodness, what, what happened? No? Yeah, it's, it's just scary, yeah. Today, officers scoured the park where they believe the victim was attacked. At this point, we do not know how the male sustained his injuries, uh, but I can confirm he was not shot. But whatever happened, he managed to get himself back to this building a few doors away from where Jack Judge calls home. Terrible. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't like him. What can I do? This building, nothing, nothing happened like this. I don't know. This is the first time. i living here more than seven, eight years. Seven, eight years, nothing happened before uh, like this before. Oh, it's terrible. I was nervous. I was shaking all morning, you know. Neighbors say at least three people live in apartment 113. And 16 hours later, this is still a crime scene. We're still waiting for an update from homicide on the name of the victim and any possible suspects. Reporting live, I'm Austin Delaney. Thank you, Austin. A solemn reminder of one of our country's most horrific tragedies. 33 years ago, one man, motivated by his hatred of women, shot and killed 14 students at Montreal's École Polytechnique. Ellen Colgan. Nathalie Croteau. Names of each victim were read aloud at a ceremony at the school tonight. Politicians, including the prime minister, stood with members of, pu of the public for the service. This event, just one of many right across the country to mark the anniversary today. CTV's Beth McDonnell reports on how Torontonians are remembering. Maud Aviernik. Inside the auditorium at Women's College Hospital, the 14 names are read aloud. The roses put in a vase 
one for each woman killed in the 1989 Montreal massacre. It really was an honor. It really was an honor for me to be here. Rabia Sultan Hajazi is a medical secretary in the sexual assault and domestic violence care clinic at the hospital and placed one of the roses. It was very emotional um, seeing that so many things can happen with women and uh, you know it's kind of you wonder why how how can this happen in this age and time. The commemoration here has been happening for more than three decades. This year had a special focus on violence against trans women. You know, one size doesn't fit all. Research presented from a national survey showed more than one-third of trans women were forced or pressured to engage in sexual activity when they did not want to, while more than half had a partner that insulted, swore, or yelled at them. But resilience is also an important part of the story, says keynote speaker Yasmin Persaud. Yes, it happens. Yes, it's occurred. Yes, we face barriers, but we, we don't, it's not the whole picture. Missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Over the pandemic, gender-based violence worsened and became what some advocates called the shadow pandemic. Four additional roses were also placed in the vase to recognize missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, black women and girls, trans and non-binary people, and one for all victims of violence. Toronto Mayor John Tory and Health Minister Sylvia Jones helped light a candle following a moment of silence, along with Persaud and the hospital's CEO, who says gender-based violence is a public health issue. The violence women and girls experience isn't just based on their gender. It is also exacerbated by racism, ableism, and transphobia. The hope of the ceremony is to draw attention to gender-based violence so it can be eliminated. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. The Trump organization could be fined more than $1.5 million after being convicted of tax fraud. A New York jury found two corporate entities of the company guilty in all 17 counts. The organization was accused of being complicit in some top executives avoiding taxes on certain job perks. They included rent-free apartments and luxury cars. Trump himself was not on trial. He's called the case a politically motivated witch hunt by Democrats. Ukraine appears to now have the ability to penetrate hundreds of kilometers into Russian airspace. There was another drone strike on a Russian airfield today. Officials in the city of Kursk say an oil storage tank was hit, but there were no casualties. Yesterday, drones struck an air base that is home to Russia's strategic bomber fleet. And another base was hit a few hours' drive from Moscow. Three service members were killed. Ukraine has not directly claimed responsibility for the attacks. The polls close in less than an hour in Georgia, where the final race of the November midterm elections is being decided. I got a feeling that the people of Georgia are going to get this right, and we're going to get this done one more time. I feel very good about the outcome. I think the early vote was good, and so now I think we're going to win this election. Republican Herschel Walker is the challenger in a runoff election that will determine the final makeup of the U.S. Senate. He's taking on incumbent Raphael Warnock, who would give his party a 51-seat majority if he wins. Canada's Auditor General says overall the federal government effectively delivered COVID-19 programs. But she also found billions of dollars were sent to Canadians who weren't eligible and millions of vaccine doses were wasted. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver reports. 
at the height of the pandemic. Canada rushed to acquire vaccines to curb the spread of COVID-19. But that quick procurement process led to a surplus of doses. The Public Health Agency of Canada's efforts to minimize wastage were unsuccessful. In her latest report, Canada's Auditor General revealed the country had a surplus of at least 50.6 million doses, 15.3 million of which were donated, and 13.6 million expired. The average cost of each vaccine, about $30 per dose. There was care taken, due diligence in the uh, handling of the contracts. The Auditor General also looked at COVID support programs, including the wage subsidy and CERB. To get payments out fast, Ottawa took applicants at their word and required no proof of eligibility. The Auditor General said that approach was effective, but also resulted in $4.6 billion in overpayments to ineligible recipients. Half of that has been recovered. Another $27.4 billion in payments was identified as needing further investigation. A lot of Canadians have paid back. Um, these overpayments, a lot have negotiated repayment agreements. Um, so we are, we are trying to balance risk and fairness. The Conservatives say that's not good enough. They want a plan detailing whether Ottawa intends to forgive overpayments or get more aggressive with clawbacks. What kind of controls are they going to put in so that in the future, if any other problems come up like this again, that we're not seeing more wasteful inflationary spending that at the end of the day, the taxpayer gets put on the hook for. While pandemic supports helped keep the poverty rate down, the Auditor General found the benefits program also discouraged some Canadians from working, contributing to the labour shortage. Annie Bergeron-Oliver, CTV News, Ottawa. Canada is co-hosting an international summit on preserving biodiversity. We are waging war on nature. And this conference is about the urgent task of making peace. The COP15 conference began today in Montreal. More than 190 countries are taking part in the two-week gathering. The diplomats are hoping to reach a global deal on saving the world's ecosystems and the plants and animals that depend on them. Canada hopes to see 30% of the world's lands and oceans preserved by 2030 and Indigenous people fully involved in meetings such goals, meeting such goals. Coming up, the foods that can suddenly turn holiday cheer into fear. Allergy awareness as you plan that festive feast. I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, the cryptocurrency market had a major meltdown recently, but that's not stopping some investors from wanting to get in. But if you're buying crypto assets, you have to be careful. A Toronto man just got scammed out of $50,000. All of my reports, that's just ahead. The 2022 Atlantic hurricane season technically came to an end last week as November wrapped up, but forecasters are keeping a close eye on this disturbance with potential for a rare subtropical storm to develop in December. And if named, it will become Owen. We've got a closer look at our mild pattern here at home coming up. And stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV.
The cryptocurrency market has lost more than a trillion dollars in value this year. But the OPP warns some investors may see now as a good time to get in. The force's cybercrime unit says Canadians lost $164 million to investment scams last year and says investors should be careful buying cryptocurrencies. Pat Foran has more on Consumer Alert. Pat. They should, Michelle. And Nathan, a Toronto man says he started investing in crypto a few months ago. He met someone through social media and began investing a few hundred dollars. Before law he had invested 50000 and now he fears he's lost it all. I was trying to find a better way for my money to grow because I wasn't happy with what I was getting. A man we'll call John asked us not to reveal his identity. He says after connecting with someone on social media, he started investing in cryptocurrencies through a non-registered platform. He says while it appeared his investments had more than doubled, when he tried to take money out, he couldn't. He's been scammed out of $50,000. That money was meant for, for me, my family, to pay for bills, to pay for a renovation that we wanted to do, to be left to my kids. We're seeing a lot of bad actors uh, take advantage of cryptocurrency. The OPP says as cryptocurrencies go through turbulent times, fraud is a major problem. Most victims are lured onto fake trading platforms. The websites are very, very le legitimate looking. And when you actually reach out to these, uh, these people through the website, you're actually speaking with the fraudsters themselves. The OPP says the average victim loses about $150,000. Well, it's absolutely devastating. We're seeing people having to go to food banks. We're seeing people having to move in with other family members, sell properties. It's, it's devastating. In this kind of environment, you want consumers to go to trusted exchanges. Binance is one of the world's largest crypto exchanges by volume. The company has been working with the OPP on cybercrime investigations and says most scams happen when people get social media invites to invest in crypto. If you're getting unsolicited messages, you don't recognize who it's from, especially if it pertains to an investment. Do not click it. Do not respond to it. John was hoping to help his family, but now fears his $50,000 is gone for good. And scammers may also say you have to pay a crypto tax or a bonus before you can get your money. Another company could also contact you to say they can get your funds back for a price, but it's all part of the same scam. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. There's some rain falling this hour, but the good news, if you're going for a skate, if you're outside, it's not too cool. It's mild. Yeah, it's not so bad out there, but I'm wondering about the gray skies. Will the gray days come to an end? Well, we've got another gray day on tap for tomorrow. By Thursday, we'll hopefully be enjoying some sun, but the trade-off is we'll get the sun, but we're also going to get some cooler temperatures to go along with it. Here's the thing. What we've experienced today and what we will experience tomorrow, not very typical of December, but by this weekend, we'll be a little more seasonal. Weather is brought to you by train the most reliable heating and cooling brand it's hard to stop a train it's interesting that we're talking about such mild weather here in southern ontario because look at what our friends in northwestern ontario are dealing with it feels like minus 40 right now with the wind chill uh, to the north and through parts of the prairies and the northwest territories it's going to feel like morning minus 45 as they're waking up tomorrow morning we on the other hand here we had a decently mild day the seasonal norm i just want to mark the fact that the normal temperature this time of year is three degrees as we make our way through 
through the night tonight, we will be above seasonal too. Average temperature is around minus four. Instead, we're going to be around six degrees. Temperature holding steady. As a result, I'm expecting a little bit of fog to develop, so take care if you have to be out on the roads overnight tonight, but also into tomorrow morning. And then look at tomorrow's afternoon high. Nine degrees is where we could climb to here in the city of Toronto. It's looking uh, just as mild in other parts of the Golden Horseshoe. Satellite and radar. Okay, so we've got a little bit of drizzle out there. A few showers in some areas today. As we make our way through the night tonight, we're going to see another frontal system swing on through. There is some very heavy rain in the forecast for our friends in the province of Quebec, as well as New Brunswick. For us, nothing quite like that. Uh, we could get some passing showers through the day tomorrow. Bring the umbrella with you as you're heading out the door, but much like today, you're not going to need it all day. I've paused this here at about 6 o'clock in the morning to show you a line of showers making its way through the GTA. By noon, though, we're drying out. Drizzle's going to hang around. It is going to be a mostly cloudy day. And then heading into the day on Wednesday, just a heads up overnight and into Thursday, pardon me, is what I mean. A couple of quick flurries possible through the Muskoka area. And then we get some clearing by midday Thursday. We will be enjoying a mix of sun and cloud. But with that begins the cool down. So four degrees for the daytime high on Thursday. Overnight, Wednesday into Thursday, the temperature will be right around freezing. So watch for a few slippery spots. Then we're below freezing Thursday, Thursday night into Friday, Friday night into Saturday. More cloud cover for Friday and Saturday. A chance of flurries as well. And daytime highs, uh, much more typical of this time of year, around 2 and 3 degrees as we make our way into the weekend. Things could get a little bit messy on Sunday with the potential for some mixing. And that's your look at the weather. As you know, we are helping the Salvation Army build a mountain of toys. And there are ways you can get involved in this campaign too. Head to toymountain.ca. Click on Toronto and you'll find ways to make a monetary donation along with locations for our drop-off bins. We love seeing your donations and sharing them with our viewers. Look at this angel and her own toy mountain from 416 Dentistry. Great work. A big thank you to Weston Ford for sharing their picture with us on social media. We love to see it. And Brandy tagged us in a fantastic photo of two little ones making a difference. So nice to see kids helping kids, isn't it? Thank you so much to everyone uh, helping us build a mountain of toys. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or email your photo at toy.mountain at bellmedia.ca. We are building a toy mountain, and we're so grateful for your help, Michelle and Nathan. For now, I'll send it back over to you. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, that voice, the music, and his cultural influence. The life of singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen on display in a first-of-its-kind exhibit right here in Toronto. Many of us are looking forward to holiday parties with friends and family, but for people with severe food allergies, it's a season fraught with danger. Our health reporter Pauline Chan looks at some of the foods that can trigger unexpected reactions, hiding right on the buffet table. Who doesn't look forward to holiday feasts? But are there nuts lurking in the chocolates, or did the serving spoon touch the seafood salad? For those with food allergy, especially those managing multiple food allergies, it's a completely different picture. Marnie Halter juggles food allergies on a daily basis with her two kids. Uh, my allergies are eggs, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. Just, just milk and sesame. But milk is a pretty... Yeah, it's, it's in a lot of things. And since the family celebrates both Christmas and Hanukkah, there can be lots of opportunities to encounter those food allergens. We uh, generally go to family or friends, and all of our family and friends knows about the boys' allergies. So they are um, 
you know, used to it. Uh, we will, you know, I, it's a lot of planning involved, so uh, very often we host things here. There are 10 foods that Health Canada has designated priority food allergens, including peanuts, shellfish, milk, and eggs. And Food Allergy Canada says one surprisingly common culprit over the holidays is hummus. That hummus is a paste that contains sesame. And I had, for example, a patient coming to, the, to me today, and she knows she's allergic to sesame. She said, oh, I reacted to chickpeas because I reacted to hummus. When, in fact, it was the sesame in the hummus. Another common source of reactions, chocolate. Hazelnut that are very often incorporated inside chocolate. And Dr. Moshe Ben-Shoshan says reactions to the same food can differ each time. It's unpredictable because there are so many other cofactors. Cofactors include exercise, perhaps because the metabolism changes and the allergen is absorbed faster, illness, perhaps because the immune system is more activated, and even being tired. So we see children that have a most severe reaction at the end of the day. Three million Canadians live with a food allergy, but it also affects their family's lifestyle. 50% of Canadian households actually have to make some sort of decisions relative to supporting someone with a food allergy. Jennifer Gertz says both hosts and guests should ask and ask again to make sure allergic reactions can be avoided. Pauline Chan, CTV News. It was one of our country's most memorable artists, was one of the world's most recognizable voices. Mm -hmm. Tonight, Canada's very own Leonard Cohen is being remembered with a new exhibit at the AGO. The Baffled King composing Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remembered for the haunting melody of Hallelujah and so much more. The exhibit highlights the life of the singer and songwriter and includes some of his greatest works. And Cohen's talents, though, obviously did not end with his music. The late icon was also a cultural force and influence. CTV's Andrea Case joins us now to walk us through the details of the exhibit. Andrea. Michelle and Nathan, good evening. Yes, born in Montreal, Leonard Cohen garnered fans around the world. And now new ones can relive or discover what made him so special. When Canadian singer, songwriter, poet and novelist Leonard Cohen died in 2016, he left behind what Art Gallery of Ontario Deputy Director and Chief Curator Julian Cox calls a beautiful, unusual and rarely seen reservoir of material. 200 pieces of them have been curated and are now on display at the AGO. This exhibition is called Leonard Cohen, everybody knows, and it's the first time that the public will ever be able to see all of the personal artifacts of uh, Leonard Cohen. That includes photographs, drawings, manuscripts, letters that come from his personal archive. They've never been shown publicly before. Cohen was inspired by Bob Dylan, and the Montreal native's work still inspires this generation. Someone like Adele, considering him to be the most important role model as a songwriter. So I want you know, a generation of young folks to, to discover that and check him out online and, and uh, go, go and buy his albums, yeah. Everybody knows that it's me or you. As a poet and songwriter, Cox says Cohen was rigorous and precise in his craft. For Cohen, uh, his process was very different. You know, he was a painstaking writer and often would take months, if not years, to refine and, and perfect the language and, of, of his most famous songs. And that's something I hadn't really realized until I'd seen all the different versions in the archive. So that was a, a really cool discovery. If you never had the opportunity to see Cohen perform in person, the exhibit offers the next best thing. 
The exhibit also has two fabulous multimedia pieces that really take you into an immersive experience of, of Cohen performing live. So if you've never had the, the good fortune to see Cohen live, you can come see him live at the AGO through these magical uh, video installations we've got. I guess that's what I'll have to do because I never did actually see him live, but I did see him once at a pet store at Young and Eglinton. Okay, Leonard Cohen, everybody knows, runs until April 10th at Jackman Hall at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Reporting for CTV News, I'm Andrea Case. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. After the break, the quarterfinal matches all locked up at the World Cup after a stunner against Spain and a high-scoring Portugal game, the latest from Qatar. We have uh, one person uh, detained at the moment, and uh, it's too early to, to discuss charges at this moment. Updating our top stories, one person is in police custody following an altercation which led to a brief lockdown at Etobicoke's Lakeshore Collegiate Institute. No injuries were reported. I've been living in this area now for, for a while, and um, there's a lot of needles kind of around. An investigation is underway after a Toronto woman was jabbed with a needle while running errands downtown on Sunday. She says she spent five hours in hospital after noticing a small puncture wound and is set to see an infectious disease specialist. We have a really big job to do uh, over the next few months, the next few years, and I really feel that uh, we're up for it. Marit Stiles set to become the next leader of the Ontario NDP. Stiles was the only candidate to register for the leadership race and will officially take over from interim leader Peter Tabins following a confirmation vote in March. On the markets, the loonie was down almost a third of a cent to 73.23 U.S. Oil lost 2.68 a barrel to close at 74.25 U.S. And the TSX dropped 252 points to end the day at 19,990. The Leafs will look to get back into the win column tonight against Dallas. As Marner got a turnover off the skate of the referee, another chance. Marner scores! Toronto's coming off an overtime loss to the Lightning that saw Mitch Marner extend his point streak to 19 games. The Stars sit atop the Central Division, but are also coming off a weekend loss. Puck drop is at 8.30. Meanwhile, a Toronto Blue Jay has been named Canadian Baseball Player of the Year. Jordan Romano is the winner of the Tip O'Neill Award, presented by the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. The Markham man saved 36 games for the Jays last season and was selected to his first All-Star game. An historic stunner at the World Cup in Qatar today. Spain yet to score. Morocco with the chance to win it and go through. Hakimi gets it done! Morocco winning on penalty kicks after a scoreless 120 minutes with Spain. The outcome sends them into the quarterfinals and the world's number six-ranked Spaniards packing. Morocco becomes the first Arab nation to make it this far in the tournament. Joel Felix. And Ramosa! Morocco will face Portugal in the next round, who had no trouble with Switzerland in today's second game. Ramos scored three en route to a 6-1 win. Much of the game played without star Cristiano Ronaldo, who was benched because of a conflict with his coach. 
All this talk of men's soccer, there's lots to get excited about on the women's front. Just ahead, Canada is getting its very first women's pro soccer league. We'll outline the big plans in the works. I'm Zaraid Allman. Coming up, another Toronto school goes into lockdown. One person is in custody after a fight between two teens. And police investigating after a woman is jabbed with a needle in what appears to be a random attack. Join us tonight at 11.30. As the world watches the men's best in soccer battle for glory at the World Cup, there's excitement growing on the women's front. Dreams of a professional women's league right here in Canada are coming to life. CTV Sean Lethong reports. Professional women's soccer in Canada will become a reality with a new league set to begin play in 2025. Inspiring the next generation of young Canadians, giving young girls an opportunity to fulfill their dreams. Consisting of eight teams, only two of which are confirmed, the Vancouver Whitecaps FC and Calgary Foothills. But they hope to add teams in central Canada, Ontario and Quebec, as well as the Maritimes. Already having signed sponsorship deals with CIBC and Air Canada, they're pointing to the success of the women's national team as Olympic champions and the rise of other women's professional leagues while making the business case for prospective owners. Week in and week out throughout seasons, like viewership numbers are being smashed, sponsorship dollars are increasing, endorsement dollars are increasing. There's so much excitement around women's sports right now, and it's showing. I mean, it's already the world's most popular game. There's already 20-plus professional leagues around the world, highest participation team sport in Canada, recognizable Canadian product. Former national team player Diana Matheson is CEO of Project 8, the group leading the charge. They'll have to contend with the National Women's Soccer League in the U.S. and European leagues. We feel we can compete on average player salary with other leagues. Estimating attendance to be around 3,700 fans per game in the first season, and they intend to bring Canadian women's talent home. We want to build out a designated player salary for a Canadian women's international team player per team to ensure that we have at least one Canadian women's national team player. Something the all-time leading international scorer and national team captain, Christine Sinclair, has never been able to do. I've been waiting my entire career um, for even just the opportunity or the chance or the choice to play at home. Creating a new future for Canadian players. Sean Lethong, CTV News. I'm looking forward to that league. It seems like everybody's outside playing soccer at all the soccer yeah, fields right now. Definitely noticing after their gold medal win. I mean, you just there was hopes were high, and now it looks like it's becoming a reality. Another reality on the weather front is some wet weather, maybe some fog overnight and drizzle. Yeah, drizzle, fog, maybe a chance of showers. We're monitoring for all of the above, and what we know for sure is that it's going to be another very mild night here in the GTA. Let's begin with a look at the satellite and radar. Not too much to show you right now. Drizzle doesn't do a great job of showing up on the radar so just know that might feel a little bit moist out there here's a look at the fog we can expect overnight nine degrees for the low average overnight low this time of year is minus four uh, pardon me i should say uh, six degrees for the overnight nine degrees for the high for tomorrow waking up tomorrow morning some patchy fog take it easy on the roads seven day forecast shows a return to some sun by thursday and cooler temperatures by the weekend nathan and michelle all right thank you lindsay be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.